Now, there are some bird calls as well. Don't be distracted by that. We don't care about birds here. I mean, it sounds, it sounds quite little, doesn't it? Little and uh, chirpy. So, do you want to have a clue? I would desperately. I tell you what, I'll give like you a clue, it. and it will be a really good clue. But I still won't blame you if you don't get it. Um, I went to on holiday to Mallorca a couple of weeks ago, and I recorded this there. Ah, oh, it's it's the Mallorcan chipping frog. They ah. live in bark, uh, eat small ants. They're about four and a half centimetres long, uh, bright golden orange. Oh, hang on a minute. It says here that the Mallorcan chipping frog has never existed. <laughs> You're and dead from wrong. From this point on, will never exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's not a Mallorcan chipping frog. It is actually, in fact... Idea. Yeah, it would be cool. Um, no, it's the Iberian water frog, Pelophylax perezi. Oh, what a um, name. You were quite right. They are quite small. They usually grow to about seven centimetres long. Um, they love slow-flowing water, ponds, streams. We saw them when I was in Mallorca a couple of weeks ago in ponds. So um, just like this random apartment complex had a massive pond and it was full of frogs all calling. And then also sort of out in the wilds a bit more in like a semi-dry riverbed, there was a bunch of these frogs. And they're really highly variable in colour. Some of them are like really brown and drab and other ones are bright green. But they have a very sort of pointy appearance of your sort of typical true frogs. Um, nice, nice, nice thing to see. And uh, they, we heard them calling every night. Um, they breed pretty much year round. So you can kind of reliably hear them if they're about. And they're not actually native to Mallorca. Classic story. Classic. Uh, they orig- yeah, they originate from mainland Spain and Portugal. Hence, hence the Iberian. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's thought the Romans might have introduced them. The Romans get blamed for everything like this until genetic evidence proves otherwise. Um, <laughs> but but also they have been known to introduce a lot of things to a lot of places as well. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, this frog, the Iberian water frog, is uh, also a popular food or has been a popular food for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, um, they evolved delicious, ju- juicy legs. Oh. And... Yeah, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's the reason they're in Mallorca, possibly. So, yeah, you know, yeah. take from that what you will. But, um, yeah, they're introduced a long time ago now, but they've been expanding and they have actually been, um, they think that they're part of the reason that the native endemic species of toad, the Mallorcan midwife toad, has kind of shriveled back up into the mountains. They think it could mm, be partly due to competition. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they're very... Um, they're very numerous where we saw them. There was always loads of them. Even one place we saw them seemed to be some kind of bizarre out in the wild cat colony. Um, there was just like 30 stray cats, which I think were part of some kind of project to catch them, neuter and spay them and then let them go again. Um, but there were like a lot of cats. But the frogs were there in high, high numbers. They didn't seem to care. So they <laughs> obviously got their wits about them. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, just again, like an invasive species battleground. But uh, I also read that they can lay up to 7,000 eggs. But I don't know what time frame that's over. Yeah, I feel like... that, that was going to be immediately my question. Over their life in 20 I, it minutes? It was you know. cited from a book and I didn't have access to the book. So we'll just have to wonder. But I can't believe they're laying 7,000 eggs in one go. 
That just seems excessive. That does. I mean, even even for an amphibian, that seems like a heck of a lot. Seven thousand eggs. That I mean, no be... wonder they're good invasive. If that's the point. I mean, seven thousand. That's a that's a lot of opportunity. I feel like that might be lifetime eggs laid. But yeah. even still, it's impressive. Number. But then it's is that an up to or an average? Again, I think the, up to so many so many so many to. questions. So, yeah, so, so many, many questions, questions. <laughs> so little knowledge on which to draw. Um, but yeah, there you go. Iberian water fox, Pelophylax, Perizae. And if you guess that right, I mean, fair play. You're a better herpetologist than either of us. Either of us. Um, so yeah, let's get on to the paper we're going to talk about. What's this? And this is an episode... You want to do ah. say what episode it is and stuff? Because oh, I have a yeah, feeling yeah, I've yeah. forgotten last time I did this too. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're on episode, what, 109? And I'm Tom Major. And co-hosting with me, as always, is Ben Marshall. And today we've got a Patreon episode, actually. Um, again, this is a oh. pa- Patreon episode from Richard Southworth. So big up, Richard. Thank you very much. Hugely appreciated. And Richard wanted an episode about pythons, which, following on from our children's python episode a few weeks ago now, um, yeah, I was ready to get, to get back into the sort of python seat, to be honest doesn't take much they're really cool and conveniently actually last year a paper we hadn't covered about burmese pythons of all pythons one of the great big ones and uh <laughs> what are the great pythons <laughs> i mean it's one of the top many pythons <laughs> when you think of, think of good pythons and you you know yeah children's <laughs> and, yeah, children's and pythons okay but a little bit small burmese pythons absolute brutes they're big and they are very pretty very shiny. What um what would be your sort of your top python? If someone had a gun to your head, all oh. the pythons are going extinct, Ben. All of oh. them. And it's the only one you can save is Go. I just gotta double check. <laughs> Doesn't know the name of his own favourite python. No, though. I know. I, I'm I'm just double checking that it's actually a python python and not like I'm doing the python boa mix up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think the, the the snake that confuses you is the ringed python. Well, I'm white-lipped python is what instantly jumped to mind because those guys nice. are, are stunning. Yeah, because na- you know when I when I think pythons, I naturally think pythons and boas because well, just sand boas are beautiful and are always fighting for my attention, regardless of what I'm doing or thinking about. So that's why I had to double check. <laughs> I had to make sure <laughs> that my 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 willful like no, that's that I can I can talk I can talk about about <laughs> no white lip pythons. That's what I'm going with. That's what that's yeah. what came to mind. They're a good choice. I didn't really understand your rambling justification there, but um, yeah, good well, choice. Good I'm, choice. I apologise, but that's just the way my brain works. <laughs> Sand boas. <laughs> okay, mate. Um, there's there's connections. There's a web in my mind, and these these things are connected in unusual ways. I get you. I get you. But yeah, certainly a fantastic choice. Uh, very iridescent, cool white lip, um, massive meaty head. Yeah, white lip pythons are a, a very solid choice. Um, so yeah, let's get into this paper. Wait, not, it's you, about you, Burmese. You're not going to throw out a, a favorite python yourself. Oh, um, hmm, hmm. It's it's not something that I can snap to. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky being oh, put on the spot. <laughs> I always, yeah, okay, fair enough. I always <laughs> thought that the uh, rough scaled pythons were pretty cool. Those Australian ones with the beady scales. I think it's um, Morelia imbricata. Oh, oh, like a tiny mini 
carpet python with mad bumpy scales. Ah, uh, no, wait. They're pretty adorable. That's not the right scientific name, though. Morelia imbricata is the uh, southwestern carpet python. Well, rough-scaled python. Oh, is, has it got something to do with the name? Oh, carinata. Morelia carinata. Mm-hmm. That's my favourite python. Cute. I didn't even know the scientific name, but there you go. Um, yeah, they kind of look like they kind of look like a, a mini Bredel's python yes. with bumpy scales. Yeah, yeah, I think they're neat. I think they're neat. Well, we're not talking about them. We're not Get talking about them. We're not. We're talking about the big chonkers. We're talking about Burmese pythons. And this paper is by Whitney White Smith, Cherkis, Mazotti, and Hart, published in 2021 in Animal Biotelemetry. And it's entitled Accelerometry to Study Fine-Scale Activity of Invasive Burmese Pythons. That's Python bivitatus in the wild. And so we don't really need to labour the point. Um, no. We've talked about invasive Burmese pythons in Everglades countless times yeah. because I think some people in America are still labouring under the illusion that they can eradicate them. So lots of research is going on trying to work out best ways to find them. Well, and, uh, I wonder whether it's I, you know, I don't know what the the current line is on on what to do with them, but I would suppose that it's probably shifted away from elimination to mitigation. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. Um, that and I mean, this paper, you know, I I joke because I I think, like you say, I mean. Eradicating any species of snake is a monumental task. They're just so secretive. I don't know that it's ever been done. Um, maybe on an island somewhere. I've, I can't recall ever reading of a successful I snake. Don't know. I don't know. It, it's removing any invasive species when it's become, once it's become naturalized, is a hell of an undertaking. And there, there are examples of it being done successfully, but you read about those cases and they are done very swiftly with a very uh purposeful you know they're, they're done what's the right word just rapid intensive effort mm. you know very 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 <laughs> expensive but short term you know yeah. one and done if you if you're doing it little by little by little it it doesn't really take hold and, no. uh, and- that's also island it being on an island helps Mainland yeah, I was Florida. Gonna say, it's usually islands. Mainland it's Florida, the Everglades, yeah. is wet. Yeah, I mean, and with tough. a very cryptic species too, which yeah. can go long periods with inactivity. You know, you're not getting rid of a mammal that has to constantly feed and constantly move. It's it's yeah, yeah. Worst case. So yeah, they were introduced in either the 80s or the 90s, depending on who you ask. They've exploded in population, eaten all the mammals and birds in the Everglades, basically, um, a lot of reptiles. And a lot of reptiles, even alligators, mm-hmm. which is, you know, stay in your blooming lane. Don't, food webs don't work like that. Um, except, of course, <laughs> they do. With a python about, they're made yeah, to anything, work like that. <laughs> anything goes. Yeah. So, yeah, like we said, despite the fact that they're massive and these snakes can um, top the scales at sort of five meters, I guess. Like, that's a big one. You know, 20 footers in captivity are known. Um and despite that, they're really hard to find. They're really secretive. Um, we've covered papers on their um, behavior before where they've been radio tracked or GPS tracked. And, you know, they're underground for long periods. Um, and when they are moving, then they're not, they're trying not to expose themselves. I mean, like any snake, really. And um, 
This paper, the reason it's slightly different to other papers we've talked about about Burmese pythons is that this one incorporates accelerometry. So accelerometers, for anyone that's not sure, it, it's the same thing you have inside your phone. It's like a little gyro. If you've got one of them um, fancy smartphones, yeah. Have you? Yeah, okay. Ben's still got his Nokia brick, but most of us by <laughs> no, now have adopted smartphone to, you know. technology. <laughs> it's a couple, couple of bases here. Yeah. So provided you're living in the year 2022 with the rest of us, you'll have a phone that has an accelerometer. And if you spin it around, it's like when you've, you know, when you're following Google Maps and you spin around, it knows that you've spun around. That's the accelerometer doing that. And they actually... Isn't the plonk... compass doing that? Uh, I don't, yeah, okay, I don't want to cause problems, uh, but... <laughs> Isn't that something separate? <laughs> You made me feel like a right dick now because not only did I mock you for your lack of smartphone technology, which I'm pretty sure you actually do have a smartphone. Yeah, I do. But I'm just thinking not everyone yeah. listens to the podcast, mate. Well, if they listen to it on their phone, they do. And um, yeah, OK, so you're right. That is the compass. The accelerometer is like a turning angle. So, OK, say I don't know if you've ever done this, Ben, but um, you know those... You know those spirit levels that uh -huh. you get, yep. and you want to like get. You say you're hanging a picture, right? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure it's completely level. Well, you can actually get apps for that on your phone. Mm -hmm. And when you use that, that's the gyro inside your phone telling the phone what orientation it's at. And we have a similar sort of thing inside our inner ear, which has some liquid inside it. And when we tilt our head, we have an impression of which way up we are based on which side of your ear that liquid's sloshing around in. So the um. Researchers who made this paper have kind of adopted that accelerometry technology that helps us know which orientation our phone's in. And they've surgically implanted one into a snake to see what's this snake doing? Like, is it yeah, moving around? They implanted a lot into these snakes. One of these accelerometers, which is either 35 or 18 grams, an eye button temperature logger, which I don't know how much they weigh, but I don't think it's very much. That's recording internal body temperature. Um, yeah. And then two other radio transmitting tags, so they can track the animals using uh, radio telemetry. And one of them also got a GPS tracker put in it too. Yeah, so... I don't it, think you would be allowed to do this study on any native snake anywhere. Yeah, that is a lot of hardware. Um, it's a lot. I mean, like, Burmese pythons are big. That's. I think that's might be that the reason. That is a lot to put in an animal. I did notice that every single individual in this study was a female, and I expect that's because they are the only thing big enough to put these things into. Right. Because that's what's held this technology up. I mean, you've. Yeah, that's that's one of well one of the limiting factors. The other one is snakes going underground and snakes going into water, limiting uh, signal. Yeah. But internal stuff, the accelerometer stuff's working all internally. Then you retrieve it and take the data off it. Yeah. It, in this case, anyway. There are some that I think beam the data back to, uh, you know, connect to a mobile network and, and push the data back to you if you want. And um, uh, a mobile network, would that be on a smartphone? Uh, it could. It, in this case, yes, you would probably need a smartphone to connect to yeah. the uh, device inside your, your tracked animal. Some of them have Bluetooth, don't they? So you can just walk near it and Bluetooth mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the limiter, you know, that stuff is great if you don't need to put it inside the animal. Because uh, guess what? quite limited space <laughs> inside inside yeah, well, things the thing about animals is they're already kind of full of organs and junk like that so yeah. it's not as easy to fit things in but regardless they've got the accelerometers in there and um this is something which they've 
scientists in general have been attaching to animals for a long time now. There's some fantastic papers out there about penguins and elephant seals and they're cool because they're existing in a three-dimensional ocean. So you get these sort of like worm tracks through three-dimensional mm-hmm. space from the accelerometry yeah. data, which is really crazy to look yeah, at. Yeah, the, the pen- are you thinking of the penguin dive one? Yeah. Yeah, penguin dive one's superb. I'm thinking there's another excellent example with I think it's Iberian lynx where they oh, can that's cool. they used oh they had audio recorders on them as well they had audio and accelerometers and combined they could ID when the lynx had made a kill that's cool it's absolutely phenomenal I think I, I think they had accelerometers as well in that it was hey, a, incredible what's that sound <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much wait a minute he's jigging around all over the place <laughs> It's a kill. That must be so fun when you I know, that just, you've actually. Yeah, that, that is really a fun kind of data analysis. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about some some mysteries with the uh, with the accelerometers later. But um, the, essentially, the cool thing about this is um, obviously we've got an invasive species, and the efforts to control it predominantly revolve around driving around roads, looking for them, and just walking through the undergrowth trying to find them so if you can get any more information on when they're actually active rather than just kind of going out hoping to see some it could be extremely informative and beyond that it's just really cool to find out more about the ecology of snakes so what did they find out um i mean right off the bat just they talk a little bit about the temperatures that these snakes operate at and sort of um their thermoregulation and one thing that stood out to me which people might not realize cold-blooded animals Yes, they can't produce their own heat, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're existing at the same temperature as their surroundings. So the pythons in this study were consistently 2.6 degrees on average above soil temperatures. And that is simply because they're thermoregulating effectively. So they'll be sitting out in the sun, even if it's just a portion of their body in the sun, absorbing those photons, absorbing that heat and storing it in their bodies. And um, yeah, they're they're consistently warmer than the floor. So although they are technically, you know, cold-blooded, as people say, they um, they don't necessarily purely just exist at the temperature of the environment. And um, beyond that, you know, we always talk about, or at least certainly for large pythons like this, other papers we've covered, they spend a lot of time inactive, right? Large, long periods of time they won't move. And the snakes in this study spent around 85% of their time resting. So... This might be their digesting food. It might just be their biding their time. Um, I guess you probably would, if they were sitting in ambush, they'd also appear to be resting. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the, the trick, is it's hard to infer the exact behaviour that's occurring at times. Because yeah. also when they're resting, they're not necessarily 100% stationary. So, you know, the author of this paper, you try and work out, like, what's the cutoff between, like, active movement like actual activity and what's just sort of like turning over while it's chilling out in its nice steady shelter site yeah yeah and um one thing i saw that was quite interesting was that like they were looking at when the snakes were moving and generally they were spending more time active during the day but p42 one of the individuals was actually significantly more active at night um and so there's a little bit of variation and there was even variation of ones that were active during the day but it tended to be that they were active during the warmer parts of the day yeah the cool mornings it took a bit of time to get things going and warm back up to the what was their mean mean body temperature it was sort of cruising around anything from 28 to like 
16's the lowest, but that was 42. That's a little bit of an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah 28 28.6 is, is the one that had the the I button inside it. So, you know, they warm up to a good temperature and then off, off they can go. Yeah. But, yeah, seems like they are at least feeling <laughs> feeling the cold in the mornings. Yeah, which is quite cool um, and not altogether surprising. Um, and, but they were all moving. Um, they called moving transiting periods. And when they moved, they moved for an average of about 2.7 hours. So a journey by your average Burmese python lasts for somewhere in the order of three hours um, of mooching on their mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they are moving, it's not like they're actually just slithering constantly. What they tend to do is um, they'll just move for a couple of minutes and then they'll stop, rest for a minute maybe see what's going on, smell the air, etc., And then they'll move for another couple of minutes. So they do that uh, and they can do it for really long periods of time. Um, yeah, the longest, was it 50, 58 hours was the longest yeah, one? 58 hours consecutively moving. Um, yeah, so over, over two days of just cruising, chilling, cruising, chilling. Yeah. But still yeah. making good progress. And, and in comparison to sort of low activity movement, like this is, yeah, <laughs> it's this is seriously moving. Yeah, really. And um, yeah, they all exhibited at least one bout of movement, which lasted over 10 hours, um, which is, yeah, it's a lot of moving around. They've obviously got intentions, these snakes. Um, what else did they find out? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the big mystery, Ben. So one of the snakes. Oh, yeah. It's they picked up the fact that it was doing some roly polies. It was rolling. And it rolled a few times, and yeah, it's. I mean, it's stationary, right? It, it's not. Um, its location isn't changing. I mean, it's not stationary in the sense that it's not moving. It is moving. It's just not changing location, correct? Yeah, it's just in one place, rolling right. around. So they kind of don't say a lot about why they think it was rolling. They were just like, "Yeah, we saw the snake. It was rolling," um, and. I mean, it could be anything. It could be that something grabbed it, tried to eat it. It could be that it grabbed something, was constricting a big meal and was rolling around, tussling. It could be, I mean, it seems unlikely that it was battling another snake, given that these are all females. Um, It could be, I don't know, it could be something that we've not seen a snake do in the wild. It could be that it was trying to get rid of some ectoparasites. It really could be anything. They can't say. It is the one that died, right? Uh, Is it the one that died? Yeah, P42? Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So P42 later died. Hmm. Yeah, and it had a uh, reimplantation, I believe. So you wonder if maybe it was in pain or something. Well, yeah, there's some questions. I mean, it, it had a different accelerometer put in it originally, and then its second uh, second implantation, it had a different accelerometer put into it. And I believe the first accelerometer was the 35-gram one. The second one was the 18-gram one, if I'm remembering Right, right. Correctly. So it's not like it's had a super easy, straightforward time of it. Um, Yes. Yeah, 35 grams and then 18 grams. So maybe it's something connected to that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. It's really difficult to say. I wouldn't be surprised if it was some sort of predation thing. But at the same time, wouldn't you have expected to see similar sort of stuff in the other snakes? Yeah. Because well, you would do... expect them to have predated something, depredated something over these periods. So. Mm, yeah. 
this difficult because three of them were sort of tracked in the back end of the breeding season. So maybe they weren't eating. Yep. Yeah, or, or, you know, particularly large meal and they don't yeah. need to worry about it. Or it's a certain prey item which necessitates this sort of rolling. Because that's the other thing. Maybe maybe you can eat a whole bunch of prey and you don't need to do this roll, but a certain something has a different sort of signature in the accelerometer. Mm. And uh, that's why there's only so few instances of it is that, um, what was it? Only if, what was it, 42 and then... Was it only that one snake? Yeah, it was only that one snake that exhibited the rolling. Yeah, yeah, but then you know you can have snake-specific diet preferences too. Like I, I don't think it necessarily undermines that it's something natural, just unique to that snake that they just by pure chance didn't see in the others. Or yeah, it's just a natural variation thing. The other thing I notice is that the accelerometers are actually placed; they're implanted quite far back on the snake, so yeah. it is conceivable that they wouldn't have to use those kind of rear portions of their body for constriction unless it was something massive. So maybe that 42 was... it Was 42 a particularly large snake compared to the others? Uh, Let's have a look here. Uh, no, it was the smallest by quite a lot. It was half the weight of the others tracked. Oh, or a third. <laughs> like, it's considerably smaller. Interesting. So I wonder, yeah, maybe it's just taking on something big for its size and it was roly-polying around. Well, that's the kind of thing which, you know, while this is an advancement in the study of snakes in terms of uh, tracking them with accelerometry, it still doesn't tell us what they're actually doing. It just tells us they're moving. So you'd need well, a camera. Well, it gets you away. I think the other, the other thing is it's increasing the resolution of this sort of activity, non-activity thing. Instead of going out and, okay, you're getting a an idea of whether they've moved or not every hour. You've got this accelerometer data that they were taking every, what, minute at one point? Yeah. Um, way, way higher re- resolution, so you can really get an idea of the stop-start. It's it, really intriguing data set. Um, yeah. It's only, what, four snakes, three, four snakes, um, which, you know, limits limits what you can say. Because when you do get an instance like this rolling baby, you don't know if it's a fluke or it's actually indi- indicative of something something else. Um, but it's... Oh, it's really interesting. Certainly, the bit that, that struck me, completely changing tact, they had a... What was it? 86% of their time was resting. If you were to just ask me and just guess <laughs> based on like movement data what percentage of time pythons are chilling and not doing much. I mean, like, two-thirds to three-quarters would have been quite a sensible guess. And here we have a nice number of 86, and you're like, okay. that It feels like it's tallying up with much lower-resolution data. Yeah. Which is quite interesting and quite hopeful that actually that lower-resolution data might be getting as closer to what's actually happening than I would have expected. Mm. Um, We'll see. But... Stuff like that was was really nice to see sort of validated. Your gut instinct almost yeah, being validated by this this accelerometer data. Yeah, that is nice to hear. So, yeah, a bunch of new information for the uh, eradicators of Burmese pythons here. Uh, quite informative, their ecology. Um, I mean, yeah, it would be awesome if we could miniaturize these things a bit more and start putting them in more species, I think it would be really fascinating to start getting an insight into things like arboreal snakes. You mean like that Boiger paper we uh, covered that had the... um, It it wasn't quite 
an accelerometer in the sense of what these guys had, but it measured, um, I think it That's was just right. angle, angle off horizontal, and basically yeah. it recorded a, a tick, you know, a, a one or a zero, depending on if it had exceeded 15 or 30 degrees, I forget what, or maybe even less. Um, so that gave it, you know, that was just changing. It wasn't detecting, wasn't recording the angle pitch and, and roll and stuff like these accelerometers. It was literally just if it changed angle. So you got a different idea of activity from there, but they, you know, it's getting there. There yeah. are smaller examples. Again, it's an invasive species, which is a shame because you really want to see this sort of data coming out of a, a, a native species, but at the same time, the ethical implications are, you know, they loom large, let's say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they do. Um, and I think the point you made about this study happening because it's an invasive species, so you have all of the weight of the species you're trying to protect behind you who are being eaten by this species, yeah, it might make for a slightly... Uh, paired back ethics approval process um yeah i mean i i don't know i don't, I don't know, know about the yeah. ethics in in florida with tracking tracking burmese hyphens but certainly as a researcher i would be extremely nervous to say the least putting that amount of stuff in an animal hmm. you know i i yeah yeah fair to say so uh we've got the Burmese pythons, we had the cool of the Iberian water frog, Pelophylax perizae. Have you got any other business? No, no, my any other business is still just just on the horizon. There is something coming. Okay, sweet. But, uh, uh, well, I've got a little bit uh, just to say thanks to our brand new patrons. So we got three new patrons, Dallin Kohler, Ethan Royal and Shannon Runke. So thanks very much. Yeah. And uh, hugely appreciated, as always. Super appreciated. Keeping keeping stuff alive, keeping the podcast going. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and if you want to become our patron, you can patreon.com slash highlights. And we should thank the person who selected this episode, which was Richard Southworth. So thanks a lot, Richard. And uh, yeah, I think without further... Uh, yeah, all that remains to be said is um, you can touch, get in touch with us at herphighlights at gmail.com we're on social media and yeah thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening